What do we do the next time Israel is attacked uh, from from a, a third uh, from an outside force? What do we do at that point? That's, that's, wrong, that's the wrong question. No, that's not the wrong question well, because because we never get the, the I'm trying to we never you. get the condemnation I'm of trying. Hamas or Hezbollah. It's always after Israel responds to defending no, itself. No, it's not. The problem is that this conflict has lasted for years. And the United States has been largely passive. So the right question is not what do we do when things break down. The right question is what do we do to avoid a breakdown by being engaged seriously in the peace process. And for the last eight years we haven't been. And that's why we have the mess like we have right now in our hands. You, you, you can't blame what is happening in Israel right now on the Bush administration. Yes, you can. No, you look, can't. Well, look, do, Joe, let's go back to 2000, Dr. Brzezinski. You and I both know Bill Clinton gave Arafat and the Palestinians everything you know, you they have could have wanted. You such a stunningly superficial knowledge of what went on that it's almost embarrassing to listen to you. Oh, is it? If you were to look more closely at what happened in the Clinton-Camp David discussions, you would know that what you have just said is absolutely wrong. There were all sorts of provisions and catches to the so-called proposal, and it wasn't rejected. The negotiations went on in Taba, and then there were elections in Israel. And Sharon came in, and everything got aborted. In the last eight years, we had a policy in which we have proclaimed an interest in peace. Condi Rice has traveled 16 times in 21 months to the region, proclaiming, you must do this, you must do that. But the United States never exerted itself. So the issue that Obama faces, and that's a question that you raised, is, are we going to be sitting there? issuing condemnations, whether it's of Hamas or Israel or anybody else, or are we going to be seriously engaged in the peace process? That is the question. We have another block, and I'm very excited about that because I'm stunningly superficial. <laughs> Chief, I look forward to you educating me well, and the rest I'm of America. Hold on. Education. The rest of America and the rest of the foreign policy community who have said time and again, Arafat walked away from the best deal he could have got and that the Palestinians well, you, never you, miss you an opportunity to miss slogans. an opportunity. You're repeating What's slogans. You're repeating slogans. He did not right, walk we'll away. What he said was, I'm going to take the proposal to all of the Arab capitals and see how they react because the proposals were controversial. And then negotiations went on, even after Christmas, where Clinton and Arafat met, and they were going on in Taba in January, after Clinton was already leaving office, and then the process got aborted. It's, it's very, helpful to know a little bit about this. Very, this, this very exciting, Chief, that you know things that the rest of the international community well, doesn't look, know. If you're going to judge your knowledge by the sort of collective standards of 300 million people, then don't be surprised well, that you're embarrassed. I actually, I'm not embarrassed. I read the New York Times and the Washington Post and well, Foreign Affairs. Facts. You know okay. what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw those away, and any time I have a question, Let I'm going to call you up. No, Let no, me spell no, it to you. T-A-B-A, negotiations. Look them up. It will be I, helpful. I'll do that, and I'll throw out yeah. papers. Papers okay. and foreign affairs and everything else I read. All right. Welcome back. David Penn here, the Professor Penn Podcast, episode 94, our superficial knowledge, superficial knowledge. That was the dark Sith Lord himself, a Zygmunt Brzezinski, who became prominent during the Carter administration, who was a acolyte of Henry Kissinger and a fundamental thinker, creator of the New World Order. Polish, family left Poland in the World War II period, an ardent 
Polish nationalist, anti-communist, helped craft the anti-Soviet policy, which led the United States into the Afghanistan conflict. This is in the 70s under the Carter administration, which culminated in the blowback, which we call Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. You're looking at the guy himself, the guy himself, Zygmunt Ubrzynski. That was his daughter, Mika Brzezinski, who is the co-host on Morning Joe with Morning Joe Scarborough on MSNBC from 6 till 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, five days a week. I recommend you watch it. It's quite highbrow, but it'll let you know what the graduates of the Dirty Dozen, the Stanfords, the Harvards, the Yales, the Princetons, the Columbias, the people that are running our country into a global governance, what they believe, what they think, they fight it out right here in the ring, and that was Zigbin Yu delivering one of the greatest all-time put-downs in the history of live television. Your superficial knowledge. I mean, he just made... And you know what is great about this is Joe got back at Zigbin Yu. He eventually had an affair with Mika, and they got married. So he got a comeback on the deal. He said, oh, you're going to embarrass me on national television live? Watch this, old man. I'm going to screw your daughter. And he did. So, hey, it's quite entertaining, Morning Joe. You have a good time there. I, I enjoy it. Now they're an old couple, you know, Mika and Joe. And they function just like an old old couple every morning, where Mika is definitely in charge of the show. It's no longer Morning Joe. It's Morning Mika with a cup of Joe. And you got to see it for yourself. you got to see it for yourself. Don't take my word for it, please. you got to do your own research. And before I get into all of the preliminaries, which we do every time, you heard Zygmunt Brzezinski talking about Taba. Taba, raise your hand if you're familiar with the Taba negotiations. I'll wait. You can put it in the live chat. Anybody here familiar with the Taba negotiations? First of all, this was at the beginning of the Obama administration, and if you were looking at the Chiron, 348 Palestinians had died in the Intifada at the time. So this war, which we're watching on our televisions today actually goes back into the 20s and the 30s, actually into the 1800s when the British first started allowing Jewish colonial settlers into the Palestinian areas and they were buying up the Palestinian lands rightfully, lawfully, and there was a Zionist movement, which was proposing the mass migration of Jews out of Europe, where they were discriminated against quite brutally, proposing their mass migration to Israel. You know, Hitler had an idea, too. He wanted to put them on Madagascar. There was a lot of ideas about getting the Jews out of Europe for all kinds of reasons. None of them were very nice reasons. But they did go to Israel, and it accelerated with the Balfour Declaration, which the British signed during the World War I period to encourage the Arabs to side with the British against their Muslim overloads, the Ottoman Turks. So the British fostered and 
armed a rebellion against the Ottoman Empire. And we're living in the blowback from all that right now today. We're living in the blowback of the Suez Canal and the Balfour Declaration, and we don't know the history, and we don't know the history. We just look at it, and they go, oh, there's a bunch of crazy bastards here killing each other. No, they're not crazy. They're very intelligent people with a very deep sense of history, and they know that they've been screwed by colonial overlords, the Ottoman Turks, the French, the British, the Germans, the Italians, every colonial power got their spear dipped in the blood of the Middle East. And what are we left with? Violence and chaos. But there was a time before we get into our normal, you know, hellos, because Zygmunt was nice enough to talk about Taba. What was Taba? The Taba Summit, also known as the Taba Talks, were talks between the Israel government and the Palestinian Authority held from the 21st to the 27th of January, 2001 at Taba in the Sinai Peninsula. The talks took place during a political transition period. Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak had resigned six weeks previously on the 9th of December 2000, and elections in Israel were due to take place on the 6th of February 2001. And the inauguration of George W. Bush, who replaced Bill Clinton, had taken place one day prior on the 20th of January. So it was a politically potent moment of transition. And the Palestinians and the Israelis had come very close during the Clinton administration to reaching a comprehensive peace settlement which satisfied all the outstanding issues which could have become a treaty and how different our world would be today if there had been peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Could you please play number one? I want to show you how close this was. This is President Clinton, Yasser Arafat, who was leading the Palestinian Authority, and Ehud Barak, who was the top dog in Israel, at a summit at Camp David in the United States negotiating a peace treaty. Please play that. Look at how friendly these people are. This is so artistic. This is uh, from the uh, Presidential Library of uh, William Jefferson Clinton, July 11, 2000. They're walking through the woods, the three of them. Clinton's in the middle. He dwarfs the other two in size. They look uh, quite small in comparison. Very pastoral setting. Beautiful. They're like hidden in the woods. Like you can see them, but you can't. And they're going to come into view here, and there they're going to be. The two antagonists that are hating each other with Bill Clinton in the middle trying to broker a peace deal to secure his place in history. I mean, after all, who wants to be remembered for Monica Lewinsky? He could have been remembered for bringing peace to the Middle East. Here he comes, looking good. Look at him. Fantastic. Everybody's a little bit overweight and corpulent. Nobody here is starving, that's for sure. Can we have chicken? How is it going, Mr. President? 
Nice photo opportunity. Bill's looking great. So I have to set a good example. You're difficult to resist, but I will make it today at least. Is that the only agreement you have reached so far? That would be answering a question. Can you talk about the mood? Thank you. Check in, check in, please. Good luck with the Three killers. We're going to walk into around, the conference around. room. Now. Watch around. this scene between Yasser Arafat and Ehud Barak as they try to defer to each other. Go first, please. Go first. Oh, yeah, Bill Clinton's no problem. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you. No, 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 no. You, 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 you. Isn't that great? They almost got it together. They almost made peace. But, you know, almost, you know, it only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. What actually happened was... They didn't reach an agreement, and Ariel Sharon, who killed his first Arab at the age of 13, if you read his autobiography, which I have read, was elected by the Israeli people specifically and solely to derail this peace process. And it was derailed, so one might say that the Israelis did not want to have peace. But obviously, they were all there together. They could have reached an agreement right there because all three of those statesmen, so to speak, knew that the clock was ticking when they were there before George Bush was elected, before Ehud Barak had resigned. They were there. They knew the clock was ticking out. They could have reached an agreement. They could have. I don't want to say they should have because that's a should statement. But they could have, and they didn't. And that's all that matters, is that they didn't. And what we're left with here is this horrible situation we find ourselves in today where we have a rapidly growing conflict in the Middle East that is focused on the conflict or that is sparked by the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And it's terrible. And, you know, people hear me saying this, Israelis, I'm not stupid, and I'm going to get people that are going to call me a, a traitor. You know, we have to see things from the other street corner. When I was in my teens and 20s, I went way out of my way to befriend Palestinian people. I could not understand the level of hatred in my family because these, after all, are my cousins. And for those of you who are going to say, I'm a Khazarian Jew, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I have it in my blood. These are my cousins. I like falafels. I like hummus. I like hot sauce. It's my soul food. I can tell from what I like from whence I came. I like the sand, okay? These people, I resonate with them, both Israelis and Palestinians. I get along great with Palestinians, or at least I did. I actually worked in a Palestinian restaurant as a cook, as a chef, for several years. Making tabbouleh, making Jerusalem salad, making hummus, making baba ganoush, making the falafel sandwich. I know how to do all that because it's my sole food. Because we're the same family. And nothing is worse than when members of a family decide to go to war on each other. 
because there's a sense of betrayal, a sense of inequity, which is heightened by familial bonds. So although I spent years trying to understand the Palestinian perspective, it doesn't mean that I was accepted. It means I tried. I tried with all my might to bridge whatever gap I could bridge within the context of my own self-governance. I was self-governing. I was rejecting the conflict and creating bonds of peace myself. Let me tell you a limit. I tried to date a Palestinian woman named Haifa Katab. The boys visited me, and they told me they would kill me if I continued. So there were some limits to this, which I found out about subsequently. I was young. I was in my early 20s. If they tried that now, we would have found out who would have lived and who died. I was still afraid. Now I am not afraid. Or let's put it this way. I have courage in the face of my fear. Courage is a muscle. You know, when you, when you pop off when you're young and get in a fight because you gap out, that's not courage. That's gapping out. When you're afraid and you still function courageously, that's courage as a virtue upon which all the other virtues rest. It's a muscle. It has to be developed. It is developed by doing things that require courage over and over again in the face of anxiety and fear. I know we have fear and anxiety. I have fear and anxiety. I also am developing my courage. And it's an infinite becoming. I can never be too courageous. And I never know how I will be tested in terms of my courage. So I'm always working on it. Every time I come on here and talk, oh, there's so you know, just this morning, we're talking about superficial knowledge. Just this morning, I tweeted something, and it was interesting. It was, a, it was an interesting tweet. I, um, I was reacting to, um, to um, Taylor Swift, and I said, uh, the critique of Taylor Swift needs to be about her music and not about her politics because every citizen is entitled to their political will and their political rights. But what makes her art so popular? Because I've been to her concert, and I think her art sucks. So somebody is promoting her, and somebody's buying what they promote, and compared to Beethoven or Mozart or, you know, Ella Fitzgerald or Thelonious Monk, her art's not very well developed. But, you know, it sells. It's very commercial. It sells. And I wrote that, and somebody posted back up, Who's this guy with all this word salad? In other words, my critique was too highbrow for that reader. And that's okay. And my response to him was, read a book if you want to maintain freedom. We have to be an educated community. Our republic rests upon an educated and engaged community. If we're no longer educated and we're no longer engaged, guess who's going to rule over us? And that would be the PhDs who come out of the dirty dozen, the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons and the Columbias and the Stanfords and the University of Chicago's, these places where we develop our globalist elite 
who think Professor Penn and you, my listener, my viewer, they think we are cretins, idiots, stupidos. And they don't hide it. They're very upfront with it. They think I'm stupid. Okay, well, I think you're stupid too. And you know why I can say it? Because I grew up in that community and I know how dumb you are. Because I know your grandfathers and your fathers, the people that were really smart, like the Jews that came over here, Jewish Bolsheviks that came over from the Frankfurt School, that knew what they were trying to do, that were educated, that had an agenda, that were here to do damage to the military-industrial complex. Those guys, the hitters, not their students, students, students that don't know applesauce from apple butter. I'm talking about a hitter. There were hitters, and they are no more. They've been replaced by well, let's just say less creative people. Because when you dumb down the educational system, it has an effect from the very bottom to the very top. They're all dumb now. It's up to me and it's up to you. We have to go get involved. So I want to remind you that caucuses in Minnesota are on February 27th. And wherever you're watching me, even if you're watching me in Jamaica or Australia or from Europe, where I have people from all over the country, all over the world watching. There is a process of self-governance in your town. Get involved if you want to be free. If you're willing to lose your freedom and become a vassal, hey, hey, the material high is great, and you believe your police are going to protect you, go for it. That's your political right. For everybody else that has questions about that, Please get involved. Spread out the podcast. Join me on X. People are coming in droves. Please come on in. Retweet, repost, amplify, build a community together with us. FreePeopleRadio.com. It's a community. We are a community of people that are dedicated to the well-being of the American people, to the well-being of your family, to the well-being of our children. That's our only political goal, policies that create well-being. If the policy results in death, hey, we're voting against it. We have a center to our politics. You know, we're not like the Ann Applebaums of the world. She's a writer for the Washington Post. She's been saying regularly that Donald Trump is a clown and that all of Donald Trump's followers are minions and they're stupid, and I'm not here shilling for Trump. I'm just talking about what Ann Applebaum is saying. And then Trump made these comments about NATO and about if you're not paying the bill, we're not going to defend you. And Ann Applebaum is saying, we got to take this man seriously. What he's saying is serious. Okay, Ann, is he a clown? Where we ignore him because he's a clown? Or do we take everything he says seriously? Make a decision, okay? Pick a side of the football because it's very intellectually dishonest to advance two diametrically opposed ideas as if they're both true. One is true or the other is true. Now, guess what's really true? Do you think these people would be going so apeshit about Donald Trump if he was a clown? They're going so apeshit about him, why he has 91 charges upon him, why he is vilified, why his supporters are, you know, labeled and, you know, just... I don't even have words for it, the way people talk about other citizens. It's because he's 
got a very serious political agenda. And he actually, underneath the bluster and the BS, is very thoughtful about some of the things that he's working on. It doesn't come across that way because Trump spent many years uh, appearing on wrestling as a character. And he recognized that politics is entertainment. So he's very entertaining. And a group of people he entertains, and he pokes his thumb in the eye of the people that don't like him and triggers the living piss out of them. Trump is very intelligent. I know this because I'm a businessman. Trump is acting all the time. So the reason they're so upset by him is because he's triggering them, and they know he's got a very in, intelligent and well-thought-out political philosophy, and they're making him into an idiot because that's what they think they want to do, so nobody pays attention to him. So they call him names, and they talk about his skin tone, and they call him a philanderer and an adulterer. They even make fun of the size of his hands and feet. I mean, these people, will they have no spiritual boundaries, okay? These people will say and do anything, but it's not about Trump. They're making us think about Trump because they don't want us to consider his ideas. And my interest in Trump has got nothing to do with Trump. I'm not particularly a fan of the way Trump you know, presents himself, although I did watch wrestling as a kid. We had great wrestling, that brings to mind. You know, I used to get up on Saturday morning, and we used to have a half hour of uh, Laurel and Hardy, and then we'd have a half hour of the Three Stooges. And then we'd have professional wrestling here in Minnesota. We had Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkle and the Animal and Hawk. I mean, we had some great wrestling. This is when wrestling was local before it became part of a global entertainment complex. Trump got involved with wrestling when it was global. And I really didn't like the global part of it. I liked it when it was local. So I watched the local wrestling, never got into the, the global wrestling. But he learned a lot from it. And uh, he presents himself as if he's you know, walking into a wrestling match. But I know as a business person, and I know as a student of history, that the ideas that he's talking about are very simple. It's globalism versus nationalism. It's about having a border or not having a border. And we have flat spots with Trump. He ran the debt up. I'm completely against that. He's not perfect. He's not a perfect person. I don't expect him to be a perfect person. And for those that are expecting perfection from a political leader, boy, that's a scam. We have to hold our political leaders accountable through self-governance. When enough of us get involved in politics, they won't tell us what they think. We'll tell them what we think, and they'll represent us. But we haven't reached that level of activation energy yet. That's why I'm urging you to get involved in your local political process. And that's what Free People Radio is about. I want to thank Free People Radio. This is the search for truth. FreePeopleRadio.com. Go there. Support the broadcast. We have a store. It's a quid pro quo. You buy a shirt. We need the money. You get a shirt. It's cool. The shirt's cool. I mean, the shirts are designed by Royce White. Royce White is an artist. The stuff is cool. We got stuff for your kitchen. We got stuff to wear. We get the money to run the operation. You get something you can use. You got to buy a T-shirt anyhow. Why don't you buy it from us? Hey, it's a Godspeed T-shirt. What's wrong with Godspeed? It's a beautiful idea. 
What is the idea of God's speed? The idea of God's speed is we are not capable of understanding God's timing or God's plan. We have faith that there is a plan. We have faith that there is a plan. What we do as children in this world is we seek community and we seek to minimize the things which separate us one from the other and separate us from a higher calling. And I'm being very careful for the leftists that are watching that don't believe in God because these ideas work if you believe in God or not. Like the idea of thankfulness, thankfulness and gratefulness. That idea works psychologically and biophysically whether or not you believe in God. But I want to make it clear, I do believe in God, and that's why I'm going to read the following to you. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross that I might be saved. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Pardon me, my King, for I have willfully transgressed. For you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, who is gracious and ever willing to forgive. You know, uh, one of the uh, viewers suggested that we put that prayer on a crawl so that it can be read, so those that want to pray communally could join with us. It's a very good idea. I'm sorry, I don't remember who suggested it. That's because I get so many suggestions I'm trying to implement. But it was a very good idea, and I want to thank you publicly because it's a meaningful idea, and we're going to try to implement it. Now, you have to understand, we're on a shoestring budget here at Free People Radio. We'll get to it as quickly as we can. But I think we'll remember it and we'll get to it, right? Uh, Edward sent in a couple of great scriptural ideas. Ed, thank you. Because it fits right into what we're working on here with this Taba idea, Taba, in the, these failed negotiations. In Thessalonians it says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie in all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion 
so that they will believe the lie. That's pretty heavy. Okay, it means a lot. Let me just tell you a couple of cursory things that it means. Those leaders displayed their power. That's why I pray, played that video clip from the presidential library. They're, they're emerging from the woods together so symbolically. President Clinton, the leader of the free world in the center, towering over Yasser Arafat and, and uh, Ehud Barak. Barak was on his right hand. Yasser, Yasser Arafat was on his left hand. They had the big display of deference of who walked into the conference room first. It was the display of power. But it was all intended to deceive. It was deceptive by its very nature because they all knew the clock was ticking out on the peace process and they were unable, unwilling, or incapable of bringing about a solution to a problem that's gone back since the late 1800s and is bringing us to the verge of nuclear war here today in 2024. So it was all a show-and-tell story. If they really wanted peace, they'd have just sat down, made some falafel, had some hummus, because they both like hummus and falafel, had some baba ganoush with some hot sauce. Bill would have been sitting there going, oh, I don't like this stuff. Bill wouldn't have liked it because he, you know, he likes, uh, you know, different kind of cuisine. But those two guys share the same cuisine, and they could have had a nice meal and whacked up the, the cash and cut a deal. And they didn't do it, so it was all a deception. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. People tend to look back. They tend to look back when they get older and they review the sins and the separations that they have caused. And that's why I read very sincerely. Now, actually, the Hebrew prayer where this comes from is written in the communal using the word us. But I've changed it to I. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Pardon me, my king, because I, I have willfully transgressed. For you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, who is gracious and ever willing to forgive. These leaders had a chance to bring about peace on this earth, and they failed to do so. They failed. They're looking back on this now. Of course, Yasser Arafat's dead. They're looking back on this. And if they look back on this, they're going to recognize the sin of not bringing about peace. Let that not be our mistake here in the United States of America in 2024, because we'll also be looking back. And I'm going to say that self-governance, self-governance. You're divorced, don't talk to a child. You did something horrible. You robbed a bank. You got in a car accident and killed somebody by accident. It won't go away. It's on your heart and mind 24 hours a day, that mistake you made that actually caused damage in the world. You're oppressed and troubled by the mistakes you've made. I have been. I have been. I've been divorced. Let me give you a blast. Twice. 
have five children. They have critiques of me. You know how I healed this for myself? Self-governance. Giving over to a process of healing the wounds of our country. That's the beauty of self-governance. Our founding fathers left us a process of self-development, which somehow became about making money. That's why I'm saying this conservative thing and this leftist thing, this materialist thing, these people have something in common. It's called materialism. I think Royce White calls them the cuck-servatives because they have given over their lives to materialism and safety given to them by a state that they are vassals to. They've given up their self-governance. When we reclaim our self-governance, when we reclaim our, our subordination to the search for truth, when we try to do good in our communities, it's healing. Now, I don't know how long you have to do it before your state of mind changes, before your heart starts to heal. It wasn't very long for me. It only took a couple of years. And all the things that were bothering me and troubling me and oppressing me, they disappeared. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have amends to make with the people that I love. I still do. But their desire to put guilt upon me no longer works. I'm actually back in a position of power where I can affect change. I will not allow them to use my sins against me because I've taken action to bring my sin underfoot by, by giving over to the process of self-governance. This is why it's so critical that we have a founding document that says we have rights granted to us by a creator, that being life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. Now, I believe that when we say happiness in 2024, that's not what they meant in 1776 when they said happiness. Happiness to me is unification and understanding and subordination to a creator. Not about having a Super Bowl and watching a grotesque display of materialism. That doesn't make me happy. What makes me happy is a connection with something greater than myself by trying to bring about the well-being of my community. So for all of you that might be contemplating entering into the path of self-governance, like going to caucuses on February 27th, and you go, oh, that's a waste of time. It's going to take time, and there's bad people there, and I don't like politics, and the people suck. And you know what? It sucks because you're not there. When you go, that'll be one more American citizen that's going there to preserve faith, family, and freedom. You'll be starting to push out the assholes that are there to get something. We're not there to get something. We're there to become something, to form that more perfect union, to form a community of Americans that are united by a set of ideas. We're not an ethno-nationalist state. Who are these people that are pitting black against white? We had this big controversy over the black national anthem at the Super Bowl. And all these conservatives were so angry about this. We only have one national anthem. Go back and look closely at the lyrics of the national anthem. 
Go back and look at the Star-Spangled Banner closely. Read it closely. Actually, don't listen to the music. Don't sing it. Get out the verses and read it. It's about a war, about a battle. We are highlighting, as a people, a battle. But actually, we're a community. We're Americans that are united together in pursuit of a more perfect community. So if there needs to be to bring about a healing, a song or an anthem for a section of our community or for a a group of our people, why would we reject that so that they continue to see themselves as a minority? Why would we want them to be, what is a minority in a world of ideas? It's maybe a minority opinion in the world of ideas, but they're American citizens the very same as you and me. We're all American citizens. What are we doing here making divisions? So if you, if you fell into that trap of, of uh, creating a division, if you fell into a dialectic, there's this anthem and that anthem, you're just being played. You're being played by the people who are stoking the divisions of hatred, like Palestinians and Jews. We're cousins. We're in the same family. We hate each other, but we could make up. We could make up and rejoin our family and be one. Who is stoking the hatreds? Who benefits from this killing? Who benefits from this division? Not the American people. Not the Palestinians. Not the Jews. Shit, they're killing each other. That's not a benefit. Who's arming these people? Where do the weapons come from? Who profits from the weapons? These are the kind of questions that we want to ask ourselves here on Free People Radio because we want to eliminate, minimize, moderate the divisions that prevent us from working together. You know, when you get to my age, if you're young, and I got a long way to go, so it just gets more and more, you start to look back. In 1893, Gandhi went to South Africa, expected to stay there for just a few months. He ended up staying in South Africa for 21 years because he took up the struggle to restore the dignity and the rights of a subdued, disarmed, and enslaved Indian community that was in South Africa. He was a freedom fighter. And during those years, his chief political opponent was one General Jan Christian Smuts, who as the colonial secretary, because it was a colony, right? How did it get screwed up? It was a colony. It was a colony with gold mines. And the British went there and took all the gold. That would be called piracy. Yes, that's right. And that gold, you know where that gold is? It's in the vault in England. And they're taking it and using it to kill Ukrainians and Palestinians today. Isn't that great? Got to use our heads has nothing to do with we the people. We're not in that game. We're in the well-being game. And the more of us that play, the smaller they're going to be. We can make them disappear because when a con gets exposed, the con artists run away. It's a con. So this smuts was, you know, in charge of the South African political scene. 
and he was in, responsible for implementing some of the most repressive laws against the Indians and the indigenous people of that region, South Africa. When Gandhi finally left South Africa in 1914, Smuts wrote in his diary, the saint has left our shores, I hope, forever. Years later, when he met with the very uh, upset Winston Churchill, Churchill asked Smuts, who had, you know, since that time he'd been the South African prime minister for two terms, he said to Smuts, this is Churchill, this is a quote, why didn't you kill this guy? And Smuts replied, how could I do this to a man who made sandals for me with his own hands when I imprisoned him? So when he imprisoned Gandhi, Gandhi made sandals for Smuts. This is very smart, right? This guy, this guy knew how to get things done. And later in later years, just before he dies, Smuts wrote, I've this is a quote. I've worn these sandals given to him by Gandhi. I've worn these sandals for so many summers since then. And even though I may feel that I am not worthy to stand, even though I may feel that I am not worthy to stand in the shoes of so great a man. So Gandhi took his oppressor and turned him into a supporter. That is power. That's why nonviolence is so powerful. That's why, you know, here on the Professor Penn podcast, we want to minimize the animosity. We want to seek community. We want to find the things that bring us together not highlight the things that push us apart. And that's well-being. We all want well-being for our children, of course, unless we're Satanists. Then we sacrifice our children. What a great group of folks they are. Woodrow Wilson, that's a great American president, a Democrat, a racist, a racist of the highest order, a racist, a Democrat racist who was part of the beginning of the Progressive Era, led the United States into World War I, which was a killing machine, started the United States on the path to globalism, and signed the legislation which created the Federal Reserve. When he came to the end of his life, listen to what he said about the Federal Reserve. This is called looking back. The way to avoid regret is self-governance. If we have regrets and we're getting a little bit long in the tooth, don't sit on your ass. Go out and self-govern. I will guarantee you, if you do a good job of it, your regrets will be minimized and your well-being will increase. Here's what Wilson had to say. I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is controlled by its system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all our activities are in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the worst ruled, one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world. No longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and a vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. That is regret. And let me just frame this because people say, well, Woodrow Wilson self-governed. He was president. Yes, he did. And there's an old saying in uh, Chinese medicine. If someone knows the way, 
and eats right and lives right. Compared to a person who gets sick and eats terrible and doesn't know the way, if they know the way and they get sick, there's not much we can do for them. They're screwed. And that was Woodrow Wilson. Much better off to be not eating right and not healthy and then get sick. Hey, you got a chance. But when you're doing everything right and you do the wrong thing, you're cooked. And then you have regret. So this is, you know, these things are complex. We've got to be thoughtful. We can't be like that uh, participant on X who said I was speaking word salad because he never got beyond cartoons. That's not my fault. That guy in a firefight will get you killed. We need strong, brave, educated, and trained people to get us out of the mess that we're in. And we're looking at them, and we're looking for them. Join us. Work with us. Help us. I'm not afraid to ask for your help. And this is for the Jew haters, the Jew haters. And, you know, I'm going to just say I watched nine hours of a movie called Europa, The Last Battle, which is a story of politics from the Nazi perspective over the weekend. I thought it was very interesting. There's truth everywhere. And there's a whole bunch of people like Stu Peters and this Morgan Ariel. They're just calling Jews Talmud worshipers and they're just ripping on the Jews, of which I come from the community. I'm thinking, who are these people they're talking about? I don't know any of these people. I don't know these people, these these horrifying Talmud worshipers. Here's the people I grew up with. This is from the Talmud. On three things the world stands, on judgment, on truth, and on peace. As it is said, judge truth and the justice of peace in your gates. Wherever there is good, there is evil. There's so much good in the tradition of our forefathers. Let us remember that there was Abraham, and then there was King David in one line, and then there was Jesus Christ in that same line. We stand as an American community on a line that says first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. I have not come to overthrow the law, but I've come to fulfill it. So for those in our community that seek to breed hate, that seek to breed division, who is your master? There is a way to say everything in a way. There is a way to express ourselves that bring about truth and not lies, that bring about coming together instead of going apart. And at this moment, when things are so divided, let us seek community. That's what we're doing here at Free People Radio. That's what we're doing on the Professor Penn Podcast because there is no God higher than truth. There is no God higher than the search for truth. Truth, because God is truth. Right? Well, but here we have the search for truth in the United States now perverted by the government. That'd be called the dirty dozen. Our highest levels of education at our highest levels of learning at our great institutions. I'm going to memorize all 12 of these because all the evil that I face comes out of these institutions. As I've said many times, I even have a, two daughters went to these schools. Heartbreak for me. Heartbreak. I had my youngest daughter call me just yesterday and told me that she got a full scholarship to go to a university. 
This I respect. I don't have to pay for it. She's free to make her own decisions. That's cool. That's cool. So I want to give a shout out to my youngest because she's a superstar in my book. She's setting her own course. She's self-governing. She's not coming to me and going, Dad, could I have a hundred grand a year to learn shit that you know sucks? She's not doing that. She's not doing that because she knew she knew what the answer was going to be. Because I've been getting progressively more, you know, fierce about this. You know, I did the first daughter when she went, I didn't complain. I just paid. Well, actually, I'm still making payments. That'd be called aid advantage. Aid advantage. I'm paying the government every month because I couldn't afford her education. I took out a loan. Okay. By the time the next daughter went there, I put up a big fight. I said, I'm not paying for it. And I paid for it with the relations within my family. My youngest daughter watched that and she said, I will create community. Instead of going to dad and having dad say no, I will get a scholarship and I won't ask the question. What a brilliant child she is. But I always knew she was brilliant. Because what is the government doing? The government is involved in education. The government is funding our educational system to the tune of about $400 billion a year that we know of right up front. First of all, there's all the aid packages, right? All the loans. Then there's the direct grants to these schools. Then there's the research grants. It's trillions go into these schools. Trillions. Why? Because they're indoctrination centers. I've gotten to the point now when somebody shows up and they make a comment like Paul Krugman, and they say, if you think the economy's not good, it's because you're a partisan. I just put in his academic background. Everybody's got editorial perspective in history. Why is mine bad and yours is good? Well, that's because Mr. Krugman holds one race superior and another inferior. Because I don't want to have war. I just want to bring it out so everybody can see it. Paul Krugman, who's an economist, Ph.D., Nobel Prize winner, he's not better than Professor Penn. I don't even think he's smarter than me, although many people are going to disagree. Maybe he is smarter than me. But what he believes, I don't agree with. And just because he's a Ph.D. does not mean he's better than me. That would be the philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior recycled into a different form. Just because you have a Ph.D. does not mean you are smarter. It means you're better at taking tests and you submit it to the indoctrination, which is our educational system. And why do I know it's indoctrination? Because the government's paying for it. The government's paying for it. It's a governmental system from kindergarten through Ph.D. It's not free inquiry. It's not free uh, search for truth. In fact, it rules things out out of hand, like faith, like the Old Testament, the New Testament. They don't teach those things at the, new, at, the, at the new schools, unless, of course, to prove to you that they're anthropological artifacts and have nothing to do with truth, like we're studying pygmies or aborigines or Native Americans. You know, like anthropologists went all over the world and studied all these groups like they were subhumans. Like, how do they do this? You know... This is a scam. This is holding one race superior and another inferior. It, it just pervades our whole intellectual community. They just think they're smarter than we are. They're not. In fact, they become horrifyingly corrupt, self-interested, and global. 
And it's a dividing issue. President Biden is forgiving the debts, the loans, of millions of borrowers. Uh, estimates are that that's going to cost about so far about $500 billion over the next 10 years. He's forgiven the debts. It's a hugely divisive issue. First of all, it's money we don't have, which increases the deficit and the debt, which if you're looking at this from a Piven and Cloward perspective, that would be two Columbia professors from one of the dirty dozen. Their theory of the case was the way to destroy the government is to overwhelm it with financial demand. So it's kind of a Cloward and Piven experiment. Spend the money we don't have when we're already $34 trillion in debt. And it's also hugely divisive. So President Biden has picked an issue to maintain the indoctrination, to increase the pressure on our finance, and to divide the people into two groups, those that want to have free education and those that say nothing's for free. Very good work, President Biden. You're the president. It's so unifying what you're doing. And we got the same thing with the border issue. The border issue, the people are pouring across. They're going to get Obamacare, or what we call the Affordable Care Act, which means we can't afford to pay for it, which expands the debt, which, which contributes to the Cloward and Piven effect. We've separated into two groups, the people that think these immigrants need asylum and the people that think they're not American citizens. We have to have a border. So we've got the Cloward and Piven effect with division. You think these people are doing it by accident or do you think they're doing it on purpose? You have to make your own decision on that. It's just a feel, it's, it's just speculation. We don't know. We're not in their heads. But this is the world we're living in, a world of continuous division, continuous division, continuous money spending of money we don't have, of money we don't have. It's down to the point where the Stu Peters of the world and the Morgan Arrows of the world take pictures of world leaders at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, which is a retaining wall of the Second Temple of Solomon that's in Jerusalem. And they make the most scurrilous comments about these leaders as if they're bowing down to Zionism by praying at this wall. Now, this wall's been in my mind my whole life because it's, uh, it's something that they call aliyah in Hebrew to make a return to visit the wall. We're not taught to visit the wall to tip our hat to Zionism. That's the temple where God's presence was manifest. It doesn't have anything to do with Judaism. It has nothing to do with Islam or Christianity. You go there to have and seek communion with the one true living God. Let us remember, this is the temple where Jesus Christ turned over the tables of the money changers. So in response to these people writing these scurrilous comments that these people are bowing down to Zionism into Khazarian Jews. It's, I mean, I understand it's a street corner. You can see it. But I want to tell you, Stu, what I see. I see the attempt of people to commune with the one true living God. I see it as having nothing to do with Judaism, nothing to do with Zionism, nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with Islam. 
It's beyond those divisive labels. It's about me and my creator at onement or atonement. So I wrote on X, which I hope you join me, the temple was a, de- a dwelling place of his father, a house of prayer. Jesus prayed there. That's Mark 11, 12 through 19. It's right there. The temple was a dwelling of his father, a house of prayer. Jesus prayed there. So if you're going to say it's all about Zionism and Jesus prayed there, oh, I guess Jesus was a Zionist too then, right? Morgan Ariel, was Jesus a Zionist? Because you're sure impugning him. Maybe you don't know it. You might be too stupid. Maybe you never read a book. Maybe you just want clicks because you want to sell soap. I mean, that's me being just kind. Maybe you just want to make money. That's cool. That's better than being a devil. I mean, I would hate to think you're in league with the devil, turning the people against each other, making them hate each other, contributing to the violence that's beset our people. I don't want to say you're a devil. I'm not a judge. I don't know why you do this. Because it says right in Mark chapter 11, the temple, that's that wall, was a dwelling place of his father, a house of prayer. Jesus prayed there, preached there, and chased away money changers and other merchants from the courtyard, turning their tables and accusing them of desecrating a sacred place. See Matthew 21, 13. You mean I can't go to give my respect and my love and my obedience to Christ at that wall, knowing that his feet walked in that place? The one true living God, I can't go there because the Zionists took it over or the Islamics took it over or even the Christians, the Crusaders took it over? I mean, everybody's got a claim to it. Why? Because it manifested the presence of the one true living God. Let us allow people that wish to go there and be in the presence or even in the memory of God to go and pray there. Let, I want to believe that if Javier Millet goes there or Donald Trump goes there or the Pope goes there, yeah, they might be going there for a political show-and-tell story. I recognize that, but I'm not in their head. I'm not qualified to judge why Javier Millet went to that wall. I don't know what's in his head. Unless he writes it down, then I can read it. But I can't write. You want to say something? Go ahead. My producer says every pope goes there. Okay, great. We're going to get a microphone on this producer here very soon. Our pope Zionist, he says. Okay, well, you know, a lot of people are going to say the popes are Zionists. A lot of them are going to say that. But the point is beyond that for me. My father always wanted to go to the Western Wall to pray, and I know he wasn't going there to pray for the Zionists because I know who he was. He was a leftist. He wanted to show his respect to his tradition, and I know in his heart he had a sense of what it was to be a believer. Never made it there. I was raised in that tradition to go there, not for Israel, not for the Jews, not for the Zionists. Nobody ever said that to me. I was raised by Jews. Nobody ever said that. Go there to show your allegiance to Zionism. Never came up. You went to show your love of the one true living God and to be close to a place where we have a historical record 
where he walked, where his feet touched the, the dust. I mean, if there is a reason to contend over the Holy Land, it's because it's the Holy Land. There are pictures of these world leaders at the Western Wall. These pictures are being used to insinuate that these leaders are showing allegiance to a ruling elite dominated by a Talmud-worshipping Khazarian Jew. I always believed that the Western Wall connected me to the one true living God. It never occurred to me that this connection was Jewish or Christian or Muslim. It was my desire to be in communion with God that draws me to that wall. I'm saying that. That's me. I'm telling you, Ariel, Morgan Ariel, who told me I was trash because I tried to bring up that, you know, half the story is not being told here. We're Stu Peters, you people that are telling up. There are terrible people that wrap themselves in the cloth of faith, Jewish, Christian, Muslim. And there is, obviously, influence in our country, a Zionist influence, and there is Jewish Bolshevism. There is. I know it. You know it. We know it. We're going to delve into it. Okay, what about the millions and millions of people that just want to believe in God? Are you going to kill them? What are you going to do? How can you tell the difference between a Khazarian Jew and a faithful person that just wants to worship Christ? How can you tell the difference? Are you a judge? And you spread this hate. If someone kills someone else because you've influenced them in this way, are you at peace with that? You either want clicks or you're evil. Possibly stupid. Three choices. Dumb, which I see a lot of that. On the payroll, I can see that. Or evil. You pick the door you want to walk through when you label millions of people, many of whom just seek communion with the one true living God. You think there aren't bad Christian people? You think there aren't bad Islamic people? Not bad American people? Why are you picking on the Jews? Got nobody else to pick on? You know, I'm Jewish. Nobody ever came up to me and said that I had a chance to be in the international Zionist conspiracy. And I'm high-born, and I'm fucking smart. Okay? Nobody ever came up and offered me that chance. I'm an independent, self-governing man. And I would be very gratified to see my words reach you and you open up the possibility that there are people of every line going back to Abraham that are filled with goodness but have evil in them that they're working through and have given over to evil and have given up their desire to be good in every line that exists. And if you're perfect, keep throwing them stones. People piss me off because you're going to hurt. You're going to get people hurt. People are going to die because of the hate that you're spewing. There's truth in what you do also, and I see the truth, and I want to work with you to bring out the truth. I want to work with you, Morgan Ariel. I want to work with you, Stu Peters, to elicit the truth of Jewish Bolshevism 
or Jewish communism or how the history has been twisted by the winners. I'm, I'm brave enough to do that with you. But not when your hatred creates the conditions where people will die unjustly. That's not reasonable. That's very un-American. We are seeking a more perfect union, and all American citizens have a right to life granted to them by their creator. If we are not going to support and promote the fundamental ideas that bring us together, then we've lost the republic. And you're contributing to that, and I'm rebuking you and asking you to join me in an attempt to make a community for all of us. I'm not rejecting you. I'm trying to correct you. And you will be able to correct me because I will listen to you. Please just don't get me killed, okay? Because I believe in Christ. He appeared to me two times. Talks to me. I walk by faith and not by sight. And when I read the things you write, I have to fear for everybody that walks up to me. Why are you doing that to me, you assholes? Knock it off. Admit the possibility that there's more to this than what you see. Or admit it that you're just doing it for the money and you're on somebody's payroll. Or admit that you're just in league with the devil. I don't care which one you pick or come out of it. Let's talk. Let's dialogue. Come on the show. You're well. I will listen to you. I'm not afraid to talk to you. There's much I can learn from you. Why do you have to make yourself toxic? Please stop. Let's work together to build a more perfect union. And that goes for all the anti-Semites, all the xenophobes, all the Islamophobes, all the anti-Catholics. We're American citizens. How can we move forward out of this moment if we hate each other? Because I'm going to tell you, we will not be able to. We will lose our republic, and we will lose our freedom to this hatred that you're spewing forth. I'm asking you to stop very personally and very directly, and I'm asking you to be my friend. I'm asking you to befriend me that we can come up with a more, you know, like Stu Peters, you say some very insightful and brave things. I read your stuff. Some of your stuff is great. Great! And you think that I don't agree with you when you're calling out mass killing? Give me a try. Let's talk. Let's dialogue. Can you play number two under number five, please, about the neocons? By the way, Dan Crenshaw, that's the guy who, when he goes home, he can say, hey, I don't care if it helps Biden. I promised you I was going to do this. That's it. I'm going to do it. And that's, you know, that's the right thing to do. That's what gets people at the, the Reagan Lincoln dinner standing on their feet going, hell yeah. He's fighting for us, not the, I mean, that's, that's a stupidity. God, the, the ongoing stupidity of the House Republicans on every front. And you can add Ukraine to the list. They are literally willing to let Putin take over Ukraine. They just don't care. They've dug in. They've decided they're not going to support Ukraine. They're not going to support a safer border. If it's bad for Donald Trump, they're against it. That's their guiding principle. It's just true. But, but how crazy what, at least what's good for America, 
is bad for Donald Trump. Think mm. about this. Yeah. Republicans have come to the conclusion, and Donald Trump has come to the conclusion and saying, I want the stock market to crash. That's good. I want there to be a great... That's good. Thank you. We played this on episode number 93. This is episode uh, 94, uh, Superficial Knowledge. I play it twice because what's good for America? What's, that's what we're talking about, what's good for America. We got a real big division. Play number three, and you'll you'll know why I'm playing this, because this is the soft side where they're saying, oh, you know, these people are doing what's not good for America. It's very intellectual. This is for the morning Joe crowd, for the PhDs that watch it in the morning. Let's play what everybody else is seeing. Number three. You know, I'm so fucking sick and tired of these motherfuckers in this country, especially Trump, and the motherfucking Republican Party and scumbags like Tucker Carlson who make Putin a great guy. Let me tell you something. I did 20 years and 28 fucking days in the United States Navy willingly. I was involved in two wars. One, I was in country and one, I worked in the Pentagon. Okay? No Republican in the past would be okay with them normalizing Putin and taking his fucking side. You rotten, evil motherfucking bastards. You're not Americans, you're fucking traitors. You're motherfucking traitors and I'm so sick and motherfucking tired of you people, it's not even funny. It's disgusting what you are. But you don't care, because you do it because Trump is owned by fucking Putin. And you weasel fuck Tucker Carlson. But you cried when the guy confronted you in front of your daughter. Oh, don't say that too loud. My daughter is there. Man, fuck you. You sorry-ass bitch. I wish you'd step in the fucking ring with me. Step in the fucking ring with me for charity. Three rounds, Tucker. Three fucking rounds, you weasel fuck. But you won't do it. And you damn right I called out your wife too. She's complicit to your treason. You rotten little son of a bitch. Fuck you. Fuck the motherfucking Republicans and fuck anybody in this motherfucking country that thinks Putin is a great guy. You like that? Wasn't that great? You know, we try not to swear here on the Professor Penn podcast. Sometimes I fall short of it. I ask my producer to bleep it out. But we're going to leave that in because, you know, as the hatred builds up, hey, get in the ring with me. Oh, tough guy. Tough guy. Oh, he's tough. Sitting in his car spewing epitaphs at people that have no interest in supporting Putin. It's a PSYOP. This guy's ex-military, probably works for military intelligence. You can tell that because, you know, he worked in the Pentagon. So this guy is on the payroll of the military-industrial complex, acts like a tough guy, okay? Maybe a tough guy. I don't know. It could be tough. I don't know. Hey, you know what, buddy? I'm old. Maybe you want to get in the ring with Royce White for three rounds. We'll find out how fucking tough you are because there's always somebody tougher than you. Why are we talking like this to each other? This is where we're headed to violence. This is violent talk. This is not going to heal our community. And the premise is wrong. No one that is questioning the military industrial complex or their fetish with Ukraine is pro-Putin. No one is pro-Putin. We're pro-America. And we're arguing about what's good for America. 
Now, this man is entitled to his opinion, and I think he should get on an airplane and get over to the Ukraine and pick up an automatic weapon and put his ass on the line. Not in three rounds where the worst thing that can happen is you get a broken bone. Now, go out there and stick your ass on the line, and you fight for that Ukraine world that you think is so important, that you think is all about American patriotism. Where's your patriotism? You want my children to die for it? You want me to pay for it? And you're so intense about it? I am not a Putin supporter. I'm not. I don't support Russia or the Soviet Union. I don't understand enough about it. I'm an American. I support America. We're having a political dialogue, hopefully a very informed and erudite dialogue, about what's good for America. And when I see things like this, I have to ask myself, what is this man thinking? Why would he think that I'm pro-Putin? Because I question the American military involvement in, you know, Eastern Europe. I'm saying, what has Eastern Europe got to do with me? And then all over the Internet now we're we're seeing, because, you know, the truth is coming out under the pressure that the money might stop. Our prosperity is dependent on the EU. Well, then our prosperity is built on on sand, on sand that can be blown away. Our prosperity needs to be built in the shores, within the shores of the United States of America. We need to manufacture here. We need to distribute here. We need to do our own health care here. We need to take care of our old people here and our sick people here. We need to take care of our own American family. Until we've done that, whatever we're doing around the rest of the world is built on illegitimate grounds. Who profits from this war? That's what this man is is defending, the right of a handful of industrialists to profit from billions and billions of dollars being spent in the Ukraine. And if he cares about it that much, I say again, go there and fight. Nobody's stopping you. It's a free free country. It's completely free. Now, he's not the only ex-military voice. I'm going to read you one that came up at the exact same time because it's so beautiful. I I saw this guy, and then I saw the following. These two should get in the ring. I quote, Since the Pentagon is firing up the war machine and the draft is being brought up again, I'm going to repost some pro tips for the soy boys headed off to the inevitable World War III. The enemy doesn't give two flying shits about your pronouns. There is no pause button like Call of Duty, and you do not respond. The PX does not sell gender-neutral attire. Good luck drinking alcohol while in a combat zone to drown your sorrows because the Uniparty sold you out. You'll be under General Order Number 1. No participation trophies are handed out at the end of it. You'll get substandard health care when you return home, if you make it back, while politicians make millions off your blood, sweat, and morality. You're not fighting for freedom. You are fighting so politicians can fatten their pocketbooks. Maybe someday you'll learn. Signed, a two-time combat veteran who sees what the military-industrial complex is all about. So here we have two Alternative views of reality, two street corners. We don't have to fight each other to have this conversation. 
We need to do it with evidence, with facts, and the search for truth. The search for truth. That's what we're doing here on Free People. We need your help here on Free People. I'm just going to say on a sidebar, if you need tires, T-I-R-E-G-E-T dot com. Go to TireGet.com. Winter was late this year. Boy, but it's, it's arrived. We got snow everywhere. It's cold everywhere. Please be safe. If you're sliding around out there and you want to buy a new all-season tire or a winter tire, go to TireGet.com. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T dot com. It's a one-stop shop for all your tire needs. You got to buy your tires from someone. When you buy them from TireGet, you are funding the movement. We have great customer service. You call in, you email in, we'll contact you back. We'll make sure you get exactly the tire that you need. Not any more, not any less, just right. We're here for you. TireGet.com, this is a great way to fund the movement. It's a great way to get the tires that you need, and we're going to do your service. So you pick your tire, and we'll service the tires. We'll get them on your vehicle. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. And thank you very much for listening. Everything you need for tires, please, you'll get to talk to me. We're trying to fund our movement. Help us spread the word. Your family needs tires. Your friends need tires. Bring them on in. Help support this broadcast if you like the content. And if you don't like the content, stay around a while. You might like the next show. Because what we're doing here is trying to unite the American community around a set of ideas that are not partisan. That's restore our borders, both physical and spiritual, turn public debt into private assets, and end the endless war. I do not think these are partisan ideas. I think these are American ideas. Join us. Help us proliferate this. We're a new political movement. If it, you know, if it dies on the pad, it dies on the pad. But maybe in a few years, there'll be tens of millions of us asking for spiritual borders, asking for private assets instead of public debt, and demanding an end to war. Would that be so bad if we had peace and prosperity? Would that really be so bad? Because look what they're selling us. They're selling us debt and death. That's what that guy was selling, debt and death, and then blaming it on people like me as if I like Putin. I respect Putin. I respect him. I respect him because he's scholarly in his approach to presenting ideas. Can you please play uh, number five? Number five, please. Number five. I mean, he's like a puppy dog. You know, he somehow has, after having been fired from so many outlets in the United States, he, uh, I would not be surprised uh, if he emerges with a contract with outlet because he is a useful idiot. He says things that are not true. He parrots Vladimir Putin's uh, pack of lies about Ukraine. Uh, so I don't see why Putin wouldn't give him an interview because through him, he can, you know, continue to lie about what his, you know, objectives are in Ukraine and, and uh, you know, what he expects to see happen. It's really quite sad that not just somebody like Tucker Carlson, who has, as I said, been fired so many times because he seems unable to, you know, correlate his uh, reporting with the truth, um, but also because it's a sign that there are people in this country right now who are like a fifth column for Vladimir Putin. And why? I don't know. 
I mean, why are certain Republicans throwing their lot in? Why are, you know, other Americans basically believing uh, Putin? Why did Trump believe Putin more than our 11 intelligence agencies? Hmm, I don't know. Do you have a working I theory? Think I do have a working theory. Okay. It has nothing to do with Putin and it has nothing to do with Trump. We don't want to be at war. War is not a well-being decision, okay? We've been at war my entire adult life. A couple of breaks in the action, but for the most part, continuously. Now, they're making it about Putin, and they're making it about Trump, and they're making it about Republicans. No individual American citizens, right and left, conservatives and liberals, blue and red. There's people scattered through this whole population that have had enough of killing people and living in an economy that's based on killing people. And let me tell you something about Tucker Carlson. This interview with Hillary Clinton on MSNBC, maybe if they're lucky, got 500,000 or a million views. When I looked this morning, Tucker was closing in on that interview with Putin on, five, on 200 million views. 200 million. Maybe these people got a million views. Maybe I doubt it. Maybe it's 500,000. 200 million impressions. And what did people see? They saw a journalist asking difficult questions of a leader who was fighting back. They had actual conflict in the dialogue in an alternative version from a different street corner about the history of the Ukraine and Poland being presented by who? A man who grew up in the region. Here's Hillary Clinton. I think she grew up in Arkansas. Whatever she knows about the Ukraine and Poland, she read in a book or she learned it from Zygmunt Ubrzynski. Okay? She doesn't know anything firsthand about the region. I know more, more firsthand about the region because my people grew up in the Ukraine. I'm from the Ukraine. So I have firsthand reportage of people that lived in the Ukraine telling me about the Ukraine. Okay? Telling me about the Russians. My father spoke fluent Russian. My grandparents spoke fluent Russian. Fluent. They grew up there. Who is this woman from Arkansas to tell the American people to discredit the locals? Now, I'm not saying Putin is correct. Of course, he's got an editorial perspective. But go listen to his report of the history going back to the 800s of Russian and Ukrainian history. Let's learn the history. Let's be open-minded, and let's ask ourselves who benefits. Why do these people tell us over and over that Putin intends to take Poland if he gets Ukraine? Well, maybe we need to go back and look at the history of Poland, the Ukraine, Czechoslovakia, and Russia, because he could make a good case to go to war with Poland. And the Poles know it. That's why they're beating the drum of beating back the Russians in the Ukraine. Same thing with the Finns. Finland was part of the Russian Empire until 1917. The Finns fought two wars with the Russians in World War II. They were allied with the Nazis. Who knows this? How many American citizens watching this know that Finland fought on the side of the Nazis in World War II? How many people here know that millions of Ukrainians joined the German military in World War II. That doesn't make them right or wrong. It's just a fact. For the Stu Peters and the Morgan Ariels, 
We got to sort this shit out. It's complicated. I'm not saying it's simple. There was Jewish Bolshevism. There was. There is. But it's no longer Jewish Bolshevism. It's gone downhill like a rupah, like they say in China. Water flows downhill. We can't call it Jewish Bolshevism anymore. It's just communism, collectivism, statism. It's changed. What is the predominant purveyor of that ideology? Is the Chinese, 1.5 billion. Hey, there's no Jewish Bolshevism in the Chinese Communist Party. Not one single Jew, I guarantee you. They just don't let that kind of thing happen over there. So if we're going to sort these things out, we're going to have to get much better at history, much better at philosophy, and much better at learning from each other. And if we'd spend more time listening to each other and not threatening each other with let's get in the ring, if we would just talk to each other and not be afraid of what each other believes, we might get somewhere better than we're at today. And, you know, we're here on uh, YouTube tonight. You know, <laughs> Royce White is broadcasting five nights a week on the John Fredericks Radio Network off of radio towers in many major American cities. You get the John Fredericks Radio app online and listen to them 7 to 8 Central Time, five nights a week. No, it's 9 to 10. It moved. It's 9 to 10 Central Time. He's already gotten a promotion. He already got promoted. They put him up 7 to 8. Please excuse me. He's already been promoted. Why? Because it's so good. Music, art, sports, and politics. Please. Radio towers. Radio's cool. Because on radio, you know, all you got to do is not swear. Everything else is okay. Let's think about radio. It brings to mind my last podcast. Uh, it was called Cook the Books. We had about 30, 35 people in the live chat. It was a very lively chat. I got off. I went to YouTube studio. You know what told me? That four people had watched it. I don't know. Maybe it was a tech error. But my head was blown. I felt dejected. We need to spread this word. Click the like button. Leave a comment. Bring people to the podcast. I'm going to leave you with the, the words of a great Russian philosopher. His name is Alexander Dugan. There are going to be people that say I'm a Russian apologist. No. I look for philosophy wherever I can find it. Okay? Listen to this one. In Russia, the year 2024 has been declared the year of the family. Obviously, in this area, things are pretty bad for us. The alarming rates of divorce, abortion, and declining birth rates are a national disaster. If we take the year of the family seriously, relying on the classics, but not on liberals or communists, as they are likely to advise something that will accelerate the dissolution of the family, we must simultaneously return to our roots and take a step forward. Boy, I really hate that. Doesn't that sound just so anti-American? Family? We must simultaneously return to our roots and take a step forward. So we have to search for truth wherever we find it, bravely, boldly, not being a victim 
of anybody else's mistakes but our own. I've made plenty of mistakes by myself. God forgives. I forgive myself. Self-governance is a process of self-development. It's a process through which our mistakes can be washed away in devotion to think about this in a new light. Rights granted to us by a creator. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. On that note, I want to wish you a happy weekend. I want to wish you well-being. I know it was a little bit wild in the streets this week because there's a lot going on. I really want to uh, be calm. I want you to be calm. The more intense things get, the more calm we must become. We are going to balance this out through dialogue and discourse and rational sharing so that we can form a more perfect union together. Thanks very much, and I'll see you soon again, God willing.